With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. All right. Good morning, afternoon, or wherever in the world you guys are at. So we have a extremely special guest with us, Mr. Nader, also referred to as Diamond Hands. And you've already been on Fireside, so you kind of understand a little bit of the chaos that, that is us. I'd also like to introduce uh, Mr. Stefan Goss, and of course, the renowned Kat Cohen, who has hosted a few Desso parties before you even got to meet her, correct? That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. So um, just to kind of break the ice and, and jump through some things, you're everywhere right now. I mean, you're, you're on national TV, and which is huge in the crypto space because most of the people on national TV have no idea what we're talking about. So now you're amongst friends and we really want to talk, you know, a little bit about like where you're at today. You, you've rebranded a little bit with Diamond and you're getting a lot of traction. So, so you know, give us a quick overview of Deso, how you built it and what issues you're trying to solve today. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for having me, Jay and, and Kat. Thank, and thank you guys for all of this. This is wonderful. Yeah, just to give you guys a little bit of background. Um, so DSO, you know, it's short for Decentralized Social, and it's a blockchain that's custom built to support social applications. So Bitcoin, you know, is a blockchain where you send and receive money. DSO is a blockchain that supports more advanced things like you can create a profile uh, or you can make a post or you can follow people. And all of that stuff's actually stored on chain. All of that data is stored on chain. And what's interesting about DSO compared to all the other blockchains that are out there is it's really the only one that can actually handle the storage requirements of that social content. So any other blockchain, the most advanced ones out there, whether it's Avalanche, Solana, or whatever, uh, costs about a dollar to really do uh, anything, even something as simple as a like or a follow uh, because that data, that little tiny amount of data you need to store for a like or a follow is pretty expensive on all the blockchains that are out there today. And there are a lot of reasons for that, but it really comes down to we built DSO custom from the ground up to support the storage and indexing requirements of social. And so we allow nodes to have, you know, tens of terabytes of disk and actually use them efficiently. There's like probably a hundred Xer in just how we store everything on disk to make it efficient. But yeah, and so it's the only blockchain we think today is equipped to be able to actually power social media applications. Um, and that's really exciting because we think with DSO, we can finally move from just disrupting financial applications, which has been huge, like DeFi, uh, to actually moving to disrupting social, which is really exciting. That's a high level, Jay. And then I can tell you, like, our. Yeah, so, so let's, I want to start with the fact that there's, there's a lot going on in the blockchain space. I mean, you know, you have cryptocurrencies, we have NFTs, we have decentralized finance, and then, you know, all the, the gunk that goes all over it. And so social, it's prevalent across everything, but you like to do your own chain. And, and that's where I know uh, Mr. Goss wants to dive in a little bit as well. Talk, talk to us about the reasoning behind a dedicated chain versus utilizing, you know, a, a layer, two, even a layer two and on something else. Yeah. So doing the, our own chain all comes down to cost. So, you know, when I started this project in early 2019, looked at all the blockchains that were out there, you know, near Avalanche, Solana, there were like a dozen others, looked at every single one and kind of felt, wow, like, you know, none of these are really going to be able to store the terabytes of data and actually index it so you can actually query and say, okay, well, 
who am I following? Like simple queries like that are uh, very difficult if you don't custom build around them. And yeah, it just really felt like if, if I went to build on any of these chains, we were going to quickly fill them up and congest them. And it was going to start costing not just a dollar per like or follow, which is like what it is today on all of them, uh, which is quite high, but it could be like tens, hundreds of dollars like it is on ETH uh, very soon. So, uh, so that's the reason there. Ten, I'll take a $10 uh, gas fee on ETH right now any day. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I today did just a basic transfer and it was $75. Like, what? Wow, that's a lot. But yeah, but it's, it's actually a problem that's still not solved uh, in terms of actually storage because social media applications need so much more storage than financial applications. Like when you have a financial application, you just need kind of a few balances and you can do everything you want to do. Uh, and you don't need to store the transactions. You know, you can kind of archive those or put those somewhere else. Really for social, uh, everything like your posts actually have to be on chain. And, uh, and that's a, it's a 10Xer right there. So, uh, and then, you know, so that's why I built our own chain is so that we can actually store all of the, the social media content. So the follow graph, the posts, the profiles. Then you might ask, oh, well, why does that matter? Right? Why does it matter that, uh, you know, for example, why don't you have all the posts and profiles like off chain and then maybe you just do money stuff on chain? So you can totally do that. There are some really interesting things that happen when everything is on chain. Uh, so the first is that all of the content, that content firehose is shared by all of the apps that build on top of DSO. Uh, so for example, today there are over 100 apps building on the blockchain. So there's diamondapp.com, which is very popular, uh, but there's also supernovas.app, there's polygram.cc, which is an NFT marketplace, nfts.zone, another one. And what's really cool is that a post on any one of these apps shows up in all of the others. And that kind of, you know, like, like distribution, you know, that really comes from the fact that we're all building on a common database, which is this layer one blockchain. And it's very difficult to do that. Or rather, blockchains are kind of designed for it. That's really what it is, is this, this single database that we all write to and read from. And so, you know, this kind of really turning content into a utility, something that anyone can build on. And when one app, you know, posts, it shows up in all the other apps. I think that's a really, really important thing. And that's why we're kind of, um, you know, we call it on-chain uh, maximalists. So we believe you should put as much on-chain as you can. Yeah. And then uh, aside from that, when you have a blockchain and all the content is on the blockchain, essentially all you need is for one app to be successful, for one app to generate a lot of profiles with a lot of posts, kind of get some traction. And then again, all of that's usable by all the other apps. Uh, and that really only happens when we're all writing to the same database. And so it creates this kind of like, it's like anti-fragile. Like if there's one app that wins, all the other apps win. So it's like asymmetric in that sense. Yeah, I want to move back on the vision, actually. So what I really love about the DSO side is just the portability, right? Where if I'm on Facebook right now and I've spent the last, whatever, eight years building my group of friends and my followers, et cetera, and then Facebook screws me over by changing the algorithm, banning me, et cetera, like I'm just kind of out of luck, right? But with what you're building, right? It's like, I'm like, oh, you're mad at me, Facebook? Well, I couldn't care any less because I'm just going to switch to whatever new app is out there or whatever dozens of apps or whatever. If I don't like the algorithm, right? I think they're too Republican or too Democrat. I can just switch to someone who displays it differently. So I think that if you can talk more about that dynamic, that's the, I mean, that's my favorite part, obviously. Yeah, definitely. And that's exactly the benefit of putting all the content on the blockchain. So just to go back for context, right? Facebook, TikTok, and, you know, obviously Instagram and Twitter, all of these have a business model where they basically don't let anyone else build apps on top of their data. They make it so that you have to use the apps that they created, you know, the one or two apps that they made and the one or two kind of feed algorithms that they've created. And the reason for that is if they allowed anyone else to build an app on top of their data, then they wouldn't be able to show ads to those people. They don't control that real estate. 
And so they, that hurts their bottom line to have other people building on the content. And so what ends up happening is you have lock-in. So we all have to use these kind of like handful of apps from these three companies. And we don't really get competition and innovation in, in the apps. It's kind of like, oh, did Instagram, if Instagram decides to hide the like you know, number, it's, everyone goes crazy, even though that's so basic. And if, if you allowed anyone to build, then people could build different interfaces that don't show the number of likes or something like that. Easily, like you just have that. It'd be like, why do we even, you know, why is this what this one company decides what we all have to deal with? And so, um, yeah, and, and so really, DSO is about instead of having one database and only one company that can build on apps on top of it, it's actually, um, you know, well, it's still one database, but it's globally open and anybody can build on top of it, which is the DSO blockchain. And so now instead of having just, you know, Instagram's data and Instagram's app, and th that's the only app that can be built on top of it, it's actually everyone's, everyone owns their data and thousands of apps can be built on top of it. So uh, just to give you an example, um, you know, in other countries, like let's say India or Russia or something like that, someone can build apps that are local to those countries uh, that's, that build off of the same fire hose, but expose the content in native ways that are actually like tailored to that population, what they want to see versus what it is today, which is, you know, ultimately India and places like that use Twitter. They use the same apps built in Silicon Valley, even though they could be using uh, experiences that are much more customized, much, much more tailored if the data was open and anyone could build on top of it. Uh, and if we could move away from, you know, having to show ads, you know, and that being like the core business model, which drives that centralization. So, so, you know, on, on that same uh, metric, you know, I want to talk about decentralization versus centralization, because I completely wholeheartedly agree with the fact that you did your own chain, because dealing with some of the projects that, that I deal with, there's always the issue of, you know, you've got a chain for one thing. Now we've got to host images, videos, and everything else. And, and unfortunately just keeps coming back to like, you have to go to S3, which or, or some sort of centralized hosting because blockchain video and content hasn't gotten there yet, but, but you're actually actively getting that working in, inside your chain. So it's, you're solving multiple problems at once, but how do you keep a decentralized, you know, blockchain like, like, like Deso decentralized and avoid some of the, what future apps may try to centralize that data and not tell people, you know, basically how, how do you keep it in, in that direction to make sure people understand when they're using an app that their data is all going on chain? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so storage on chain has been solved by, you know, like, like things like Filecoin and Arweave, and they're like, oh, we store things, right? Uh, but the problem is that the way that they store that, that index, all of that, it's not really something that can power a social network. It's kind of just like throwing it somewhere and just not really like, they don't have good ways to like query it and actually like build social apps on top of it. It's extremely, it's just really not built to be something that we built the future of social on. And so with us, you know, so it's not so much about how do we store things in a decentralized way? Like that's not really like, I mean, that's not really fundamentally what we solve. Uh, what we solve is how to actually create a blockchain that stores and indexes everything so that it's still decentralized. And when you run a node, you can actually get all of the data and answer queries that basic people want, you know, people basically want to do over that data that they can use to build social apps. And so it's really kind of custom driving it towards that, that, that use case uh, and making it really fast and really available and really easy to build on. And I think that's why there's been over 100 apps building on it. Uh, but to answer your question, you know, I don't think it's actually that hard to have to maintain decentralization while storing a lot of data, you know, and I wouldn't claim that, that like, oh, we are, you know, uniquely solving that. 
but what is hard is to uh, do it in such a way that you can still build apps on top of it without basically waiting hours and hours to do simple queries and things like that. And that's why DSO is so interesting as this kind of like custom built for these specific use cases so that it can actually scale to millions and, and eventually a billion users. That's fabulous. And also to answer your question, just like to go back to like images and content. Another thing that you can do with DSO if you want is if you want to host an image on our weave uh, or Filecoin or something like that, you can actually do that. You just basically DSO supports posts and links to the images. And so you just put the image link to our weave in there and now it's fully decentralized. And most of the NFT artists, uh, you know, do that 100% of the time, which is really cool. Yeah. And uh, then you get the benefit of DSO's indexing. But if you want to use file coins, you know, storage, you can do, or are we storage, you can you, do that. You said, you said um, the word NFT. So, so now here comes Kat. <laughs> well, I have so many questions for you, Natter, and, and thanks for coming on. And that did just sort of shift me to NFTs, but I want to ask you about the coin as well. So I've been buying NFTs on, on DSO sort of the, the OG projects, as I tend to do, because I like to collect archaeological NFTs. So if I want to show them in my, let's say, my OpenSea wallet, how can I do that? Or can I do that? So I bought like a Chixel, and, which apparently the community is telling me you need to buy a Chixel. There's only 21 of them. Super OG, yeah. <laughs> Very OG. Um, and some Spookies and some Decimon. Um, and since I'm an NFT collector, how would I aggregate every, everything in one place? Yeah, so what's interesting is I have the, the uh, benefit of actually knowing the OpenSea founder and talked to him for a while. They are going, you know, their vision is to integrate all blockchains into OpenSea. Like OpenSea is a marketplace that shows you NFTs on multiple blockchains today. Ethereum, I think they also do Polygon, maybe one or two others. And they're really excited to integrate DSO. Like, you know, they're going to do it. You know, it's, it's going to be on their roadmap probably for next year. And so it will happen that, you know, you can actually see your DSO uh, NFTs on OpenSea. Uh, you can't do that today only because they haven't done the work to do it yet. But uh, what people are building uh, in the community, uh, so I think Mubs, if you, if you look at Mubs, he's on uh, Diamond, Mubashar, I forget how to say his full name because I know him as Mubs. Uh, but he's actually building an app that uh, allows you to showcase and play with your DSO NFTs. And so, uh, you know, he can integrate your ETH NFTs into there and that can become a unified place in the reverse direction. DiamondApp.com is very popular. And I know Zordon has thought about uh, integrating, allowing you to integrate your ETH NFTs into your profile, right? Because it's inherently social. And if it's social, uh, you know, there's no reason to not have your NFTs from your other places to show up there. Uh, there have even been plans to, so DSO has its own uh, wallet. It actually doesn't use MetaMask. It uses an in-browser embeddable wallet, which is, has a huge benefit of not requiring users to install a Chrome extension. And also if you, if you don't wanna memorize 12 words, it does a Google Drive backup that kind of hides that from you if you want. And so it's one click cross device, super awesome. Uh, but anyway, there's even been talk of integrating ETH stuff, uh, ETH transactions, ETH everything into the DSO wallet and giving that, that convenience, that 10x of convenience over MetaMask in the DSO wallet itself, because that is a superpower that uh, DSO has. So it's coming is the short answer. And I think, uh, yeah, you'll start to see more and more integration. But it's just so early that, you know, people are busy. You know, the OpenSea guys have a lot to do. And I'm sure Zordon uh, with Diamond App has a lot to do. And, and, there's, and there's nowhere near enough developers or programmers in, in the blockchain space to even, even fractionally take care of the amount of growth that we're experiencing. Yeah, so my other question was really about the coin itself, because I think when we 
had dinner a couple months ago, you had talked about it, that it was going to be listed on Coinbase before the end of the year. Um, and also the price of the coin, since I've been on the platform since the beginning. And it was, uh, I think when I got in, it was over $100. At one point, it moon to almost $200. And now I think today it's around $80. So where do you see the future of, of this coin? Yeah. Um, so just for the listeners, DSO, you know, so the DSO blockchain has the DSO native cryptocurrency, just like maybe the Bitcoin blockchain has Bitcoin. Again, I know your, your watchers are super smart, Jay, yeah. but like just in case. No, no, you're, you're, never you're, you're doing the fabulous uh, thing. Give that context. <laughs> Kat's asking about DSO, the coin, uh, uh, which you can use to do all, all kinds of things on the apps, everything. You know, when you buy DSO NFTs, use the DSO coin. You can also buy creator coins, which are coins associated with someone's profiles. So you can actually invest in people on DSO and, and you use the DSO coin to, to make those investments. I own, you know, some cat and uh, many others, of course. Yeah, but so to answer your question on DSO itself, uh, the underlying currency, the next step really is to get it listed on a few actually major exchanges. Um, so the ones we're working most closely with are Binance and Coinbase. Uh, and it's, it's coming, but I, I, so actually I signed NDAs with them, so I can't actually say anything about how that's going or whatever. It's a top priority and it's, it's going to happen, you know, very soon. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. We're making really good progress on both. With what are the, what are the, uh, just again, without, I, I, I'm not a discussing price type of guy, but what are the tokenomics? You know, what is the supply? Uh, is it inflationary, deflationary, you know, how did, and, and also how did you come up with the metrics, metrics around this? Because building your own chain is hard enough. Making your own currency is, is you know. Yeah, so DSO is uh, pretty interesting. So the uh, the currency itself, DSO, is fixed supply. Uh, so there's no more than 10.8 million that are ever going to be printed. And so 10.5 million has been printed today. And there's another like 300K for, for mining right now. It's still proof of work and it's transitioning to proof of stake. It's another really big thing that uh, we're hoping happens before the end of the year. Basically, the 10.8 million is the kind of max supply, and the founding team has 2 million allocated across them. And the other 8.5 million was actually crowdsold through what we call a bonding curve mechanism, where basically you could send Bitcoin to this treasury wallet, and the, the, you would get DSO for that. So, uh, and it was at a like increasing price. And so the other 8.5 million. DSO uh, was sold through that crowd sale mechanism, generated about 5,000 Bitcoin, which you know now funds the project, which is really exciting. And um, what's cool about that is it's actually fairly distributed. So nobody got more than 5% of the supply through that mechanism. Um, so there's uh, even today, I'm not, I don't think anyone owns, I can't know for sure, but I, I don't think anyone owns more than 5% of the supply. So it's super distributed. And there were over 44,000 purchases through that mechanism. So we actually got a, a fairly wide base of people who hold DSO and are therefore excited about the future of the project. Uh, and since then, I'm sure it's proliferated since DSO, it's listed on blockchain.com and Ascendex. And we're just going to, you know, 1,000x that distribution with, with, a, with a big listing, uh, you know, which is why it's such a high priority. But, that, that, that's amazing. You know. And so, you know, obviously with, with a supply of, of 10 million, which is very low in, you know, normal, um, we won't talk about, uh, you know, dog meme coins. But, you know, as far as other projects, you know, they, they do generally stay right around that, you know, billion or, or hundreds of millions. Um, I, again, it's just more the tokenomics of like, do you do you see, you know, kind of going down and, and speaking of speaking of DSOs and less of a DSO coin 
and more of like, you know, Satoshi's or, or, or sats or how, what's the lingo that you guys are, are kind of focused on for the next few years? Yeah, it's a great question. So one DSO coin is currently worth about $75. Uh, so you can do the math and it comes out like 700 million, like market cap or something like that. And, um, and I think, you know, if you compare it to other chains, there's actually a lot of room oh, because, yeah. you know, social is a really big category that I really think no other blockchain can even approach right now because just the like costs a dollar you know, on Avalanche, Solana, all these other things. Um, and we have this great blog post on uh, diso.org slash blog. You can go read. You can read exactly how much it costs. And it's like $80 to store a gigabyte on Deso, And like how many hundreds is like just like a lot of money on like every other chain. There's a nice <laughs> graphic that explains it. I should have that number ready to go. But uh, but you get the idea. And so, but but to your point, $75 for, a, for an individual coin is actually like psychologically, we think it's not optimal because people... You know, they, they want, we kind of want people to feel like owning a coin is very mm -hmm. easy. Uh, and so we think a better target for like a single DSO coin in terms of how much it's worth is like a dollar. Because, you know, that just makes, I mean, it's, it's kind of silly. It doesn't really change anything about like the fundamental economics. But when, you know, your coin is like worth a dollar, we think it just gets people like more excited. Like, oh, it's cheap, you know, whatever. Like they, they just feel like they can own more of it. And so uh, we're actually contemplating a, a split of DSO a 1-100 split so that uh, each coin, instead of being worth $75, would be worth like 75 cents. And again, that's purely psychological. It doesn't change anything about like the underlying economics, as you know. But um, but to your point, it's it's something that might be important. No, and, and that and that's a very interesting point. And because again, is it, we we do all sorts of projects. Stefan here probably has you know twenty different chains he, he's going to launch in the next few few minutes in his head. So we we really want to you know having that high number. I think it, essentially it, it sounds very you know like hey we, we're going to do the Bitcoin type thing. But then you're right, you deal with the like well, I only have three of these coins and, and I don't want to spend them all because I think they're going to be worth something in the future. So that, that was always my curiosity is, is it, does it hurt adoption when people are like, these are really scarce? And so that's interesting to hear that you have that metric there. And what about the people who already bought their DSO with, with Bitcoin or Ethereum? So they spent that money. Like if you split it, then are they going to be upset? Uh, yeah. I mean, so they would get, you know, their one DSO would be a hundred DSO. So theoretically, it shouldn't affect them. Oh, uh, yeah, see, yeah. Okay. Like I said, it changes nothing about... Oh, so you're just yeah. going to... Okay. But maybe okay. now, you know, okay. like, for example, for me personally, you know, let's say I have like one DSO. I don't know if I want to go under that boundary. You know, it's like exact psychological stuff that Jay's talking about. Uh, whereas if it's 100 DSO, I'm like, oh, okay, one DSO, <laughs> I'll throw it here. One DSO, I'll throw it here. Maybe it's just easier to kind of like part with your... With your money, but I don't know. It's just psychological, and it's just something that's worked for other but, other currencies. No, I, I so agree. It's ninety nine cents instead of a dollar five. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's not going to change the total number available. Well, it'll ten, it'll hundred x it, right. but you'll have also have hundred x yourself. So your percentage won't change. Okay, yeah. so that would change. Yeah. So there's no loss yeah. in value for yeah. the for the OGs. Uh, in fact, they're gonna. Some of them will wake up uh, very, very. You know, because again, I would, I would assume that if suddenly people see that distribution, and that's a, that's a standard. You know, operating in the stock world, you know, when you do those splits, you know, you, you do it for the best intentions. Like, hey, I need to distribute this. Next thing you know, the thing's back up at twenty dollars because yeah. everyone's, you know, wants, wants to see it rise again. Yeah, there's definitely some anchoring and weird psychological stuff. But again, this is just purely like I just think it's better for the user. You know, the person who comes I mean, it's in very, doesn't know it's, anything. It's, yeah. Um, oh, that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. So one of the things I really want to loop back to is kind of like what your audience is, right? Because I think you have that really interesting space where 
you have obviously the social network side where you're whatever, trying to get my mom to use your network, but you also have the content creator side, which I think have very different needs. I'd love to see like which of those audiences you're really looking for, because I think like the, the more TikTok creator crowd has a huge appeal to using you compared to TikTok, obviously. So how do you see that? Where's your focus? Yeah, well, you see, that's actually the beauty of the model, which is that uh, my team is now focusing more and more solely on the DSO blockchain, which is just kind of this backend that powers everything. And so uh, now all of the most popular apps are run by people who's not my team. So Diamond App is actually not my team. Uh, it's this guy Zordon who we funded, you know, and so we have a stake in Diamond App, but it's, he's separate. He makes his own decisions now. He runs his own nodes. You know, we help him out here or there because his code's open source so we can contribute to it. But it's really, it's, it's not my concern anymore what happens with like, or rather, I'm not directly involved in the app layer, as it's as it said. So that's Diamond. Same with CloudFeed, which is the top mobile app. Same with Polygram.cc, which is probably the number one NFT platform at this point. There's NFTZ.zone. It's also very popular. So what's interesting is because anyone can build an app uh, on the DSO blockchain, um, those apps can all have different flavors that appeal to different people. So you know, Diamond is very much a Twitter-like experience. And so, you know, for those Twitter intellectual crowd, like maybe they like that, uh, but there are actually different apps that are building more like an Instagram-like experience. And so Gem is like one of those that's, that's launching. Uh, I saw Story, S-T-O-R-I, uh, is, is an app that's launching. That'll just be completely different. It'll just be very image-based. Uh, and there are ones based on videos, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, like I said, bringing that competition and innovation kind of back to social is what we're trying to do by opening up all the content and making it so that anyone can build on it. And of course, the reason why this can happen with DSO and not with Facebook is that all that DSO content is totally open, right? And, and when you log in on Diamond, when you make a profile on Diamond, you can actually use that in Polygram or you can use that in CloudFeed instantly, right? And all that money you have, all those NFTs you have, all those posts that you have are there, right? Even all the follows you have are there. And so I think to your point, all those different niches of, of content, all those people who want a different type of thing, I think can be served and actually much better with that increasing choice of apps that you can use that maybe cater to different people. But don't you have an interesting tragedy of the commons problem there? Because like, I mean, someone's going to have to get those creators to write. The creators are going to be what really going to draw the audience, I, I would assume. So do you, I mean, do you have like a Netflix-like model where you just start spending a ton of money, like attracting people? And But it sounds like you as the blockchain don't, but it feels like the apps would have a challenge doing that because, I mean, they just get vampire attack, right? Like you, whatever, somebody spends a hundred million bucks in awesome content and poof, it's gone, right? That incentive kind of just lies with you only, right? How do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, so we are funding. Uh, so we announced a $50 million fund to fund apps building on DSO. We also implement referral programs on a different apps. So we did a referral program on Diamond just to test out, see how it goes. We're still trying to figure out how to basically like fight bots on the referrals so that we can basically give away free money without all of it going to like, you know, some dude in another country that has like a bot farm. Uh, so we're still working on that, but, um, <laughs> but so definitely farmers need money too. Like, yeah, come on. they do. They, they got to feed their family of bots. Uh, no, so, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, but yeah, but so high level, um, you know, definitely, uh, when you build on DSO, uh, you know, we want to fund you and we want to help you grow like by plowing marketing budget into you that you might not otherwise get. So those are, those are external externalities that we're like, okay, Hey, like we'll help you market just because we can. Right. But, um, we really believe that. The app, just because you're not building a data moat around your users, doesn't mean you can't make good money. 
And we actually think that the way that this is going to play out and, and the way we built DSO is that these apps are going to switch the business model for social media from being based on ads, namely like I monopolize all the content so that I can show ads on it. That was the old model. Now it's like, okay, well, content isn't a monopoly anymore, but there's money flowing through the system in a way that is like a thousand X better than it was before because we have these, well, it's a blockchain. And so it can do money stuff like investing in a creator or NFTs or something like that. And because now we have this new feature set that's, that's throwing you know, tens of thousands of dollars around per creator every day, you can now actually have a different business model based on fees, earning fees of those much bigger financial transactions than you had on traditional social. So the hope is that you kind of switch from a business model based on ads, which requires like closing off your content to protect against other people building on top of it, switch from that to transaction fee-based where you don't really care, you know, like, you know, where the transactions are happening as long as you can have a fee of it. Or rather, you, you want transactions to happen on you, but that doesn't preclude like closing off the content from anyone else, right? So that's kind of how we think about so, it. And that's kind of the incentive, yeah, that, trying yeah. to change the incentive, right? So, so without trying to totally, okay. totally derail the conversation, <laughs> how do you it manage New Yorkers? Like, how do you, how are you going to deal with the fact? It does seem like a big derailing yeah, from it, the it, conversation. It's, it's a real derailing because, you know, you, the, everything you're saying is, is revolutionary. It's needed. I believe that you are, you will absolutely change the world with, with DSO and, and the, the thought process is correct. However, in the regulatory world, these people have no idea what you just said. They don't understand the space and, you know, they're, they're, you know, again, I'm trying to trying to not go too put down the political rabbit hole. How how do you or you know manage just the thought process of oh my god, I can do this so perfectly? Well, I can't do that because that's not you know. Yeah, and I'll I'll just add to that 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 we tried a couple of users tried with their oh, New boy. York based yep. credit cards to use <laughs> fiat, and of course couldn't you know buy their DSO or it was cloud at the time, and so it's been frustrating for some of the people trying to get on who might not have cryptocurrency, right, to just hook up, you know, just to send in some BTC. And, yeah. and to clarify, just for everyone watching that may or may not be familiar, this is not a DSO problem. This is a New York Attorney General problem. So that, yeah. that's the, the ask for that. Yeah, Kat, I remember yeah. that person you told me who had some trouble, and I thought that was really, a very high-profile person for the <laughs> for the crowd. But spent hours, by the way, we spent hours. I know. I, I remember you told me. I was just I felt so bad. And so, what you guys are referring to uh, is if you go to diamondapp.com or DSO.org or maybe a couple other apps do it now. Uh, you can actually buy DSO with a credit card. You can also use Bitcoin or Ethereum. And I think what you guys are referring to is basically when you try to buy it with a credit card, we're using Wire, which is like a third party, like they process your credit card and they, they actually do something with Bitcoin. And then we use that to give you uh, DSO, uh, like pretty seamlessly, you know, as seamlessly as we can. And um, their acceptance rate of like, if you go through Wire is something like, I think it's like 60%. It's like pretty low. And um, if you're in New York, it just doesn't work at all. Right. And so uh, to answer your question, Jay, I mean, we're doing the best we can. So we're actually looking at we're, we're recommending people try Transact as well as Wire. Transact is like another like one of these processes. I don't know if they work in New York or anything, but but yeah, so we're doing the best we can. I think we're, you know, Diamond and, and uh, Disa.org are basically state of the art. Like if you look at MetaMask for a long time, it was just Wire and now they have Wire and Transact. And so we're like, OK, well, maybe we should recommend everyone like also use Transact. 
But so uh, I think this problem will get solved over time. You know, that fiat rail into crypto is so, so, so important and Wire and Transact are working on it. But then the other way that we solve for it is why it's so important is when you list on a major exchange, you know, like Coinbase or Binance or something like that, right? All those people have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or something like that or whatever they have in crypto already. And so if you have DSO listed there, then they can just so easily buy it, even if they're in New York. So I, I hope, Kat, that like in the future, it's like, hey, just buy it here, you know, or like, oh, you have Coinbase, right? Open it up, you know, and like just buy some. Uh, and that's hopefully much easier. You guys are bleeding edge. I mean, truly bleeding edge of, of you know, the social technology. And so, you know, getting fi the fiat on ramps, no one's solved. Like that's that's a problem that everyone's dealing with. So it's it's not unique to you guys by any means. But but when you're talking about kind of being so far out, how does it when you, when you're trying to talk with some of the larger adopters, you know, and Kat's saying she's got high profile people and you're so new. <laughs> Like, and it changes so quickly. Like, you know, what, what's that like to have to take these calls from people saying, I want to use your platform. What's a blockchain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it really depends on who the person is and then, then they can have a different touch point. So for example, you know, Stefan, you mentioned that like, there's like different audiences. There's like the creator and then there's the, the person who like looks at the content. There's actually a third audience, which is like crypto investor people who like, you know, believe in the mission, but maybe don't want to use the product. And I think, again, you know, it comes back to uh, different property on the internet for each person. So for the crypto investor, DISO.org explains this is the blockchain and this is like why it's better and like, you know, why it's the only thing that can power social. So DISO.org is the destination if you're curious about the blockchain. But if you go and use diamondapp.com, if you even just look at that landing page, it's completely mainstream. I mean, it doesn't mention DSO until like the end of the like landing page or something like that. And so, uh, you know, when I talk to big creators, you know, when I'm, you know, giving a pitch, you know, we pitched CAA and all this kind of stuff. And then CAA, by the way, holds a lot of DSO. CAA is one of the biggest talent agencies in the world. But I, I pitched them Diamond and I pitched them Polygram and I pitched them Cloudfeed, you know, and, you know, I don't, I don't make them worry too. I tell them about the DSO and how, when you make a post on Diamond, it shows up in CloudFeed, and they think that's really, really cool. That like they, it really helps them understand that they own their content. But uh, but it's not required in order to use Diamond because there's just so many. You know, it's like you use it like Twitter, but you can also buy NFTs, get tips, or you know, buy invest in people. Right? There's like kind of a mainstream, you know, approach where you go through an app that that maybe doesn't focus on the blockchain. Or a like, hey, you're a crypto investor. You should learn about like this technology and why it's so interesting. So I have a, I have a question about in trying to prevent rug mm. pulls, right? So deep I question. Yeah, had an experience. Yes, had an experience last week. I was on a Zoom call, so I was not doing my own research, not doing my own due diligence, and I saw a new user who was liking my posts and aped in. Bought a bunch of coins. Um, I, you know, other people, I guess, were watching at the moment. I'm still on the Zoom call, so I was like, kind of doing it on the side, not paying it as much attention as I should have. But the coin went from eleven dollars to five hundred fifty-five dollars. So, you know, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to take some chips off the table. Took some chips off the table, um, and then I started getting flooded with messages. Do you know this? Is this guy verified? I'm thinking, well, he's not verified on Twitter. And he's not verified here. So, no, I don't know. So I left some coins in and and then realized this guy, I started messaging the guy. 
on Telegram and on Twitter. I'm trying to find out if this is real and didn't get a response. So I pulled all my coins out right after the guy rug pulled. And um, then I got a lot of backlash on, uh, you know, from the community and saying, you know, that I was misleading people. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, you know, of course, I'm not misleading people. But how can you really prevent this? Because you don't there's somewhat of the, you know, the unknown when you when you invest in someone's coin. Definitely. Before Nader Nader answers this, I just need to say (laughs) Stefan and I deal with like crazy tokenomics and rug pulls all day long. Cat, I, you just gave you just made my brain hurt for what you're trying. Like now, there's like I got to worry about like like legitimate people. This is insane. So yeah, please go on. But like, holy cow, it's <laughs> it's amazing to think of the kind of un unknown changes when you when you do when you have a chain like this. And I made a profit, by the way. <laughs> but then I was sort of you know vilified for making that profit, and um, and I you know felt terribly for 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 other i wasn't even watching who else was putting their money in but uh, you know it's there's definitely that risk of people just coming on pretending to be someone jacking the coin up and then pulling definitely and just for context you know again because uh, maybe a lot of people haven't used deso apps before uh not all the apps support this i think like polygram is just nfts you know a bunch of them are don't have this feature but the feature that cat's talking about is the ability to invest in somebody. So when you go on diamondapp.com, which is a DSO app, uh, they're using a particular feature of the DSO blockchain, which allows you to, after you create your profile, to have a coin associated with that profile that anybody can buy and sell, right? And what's interesting about that is it's all algorithmic. So when you buy, you are putting money in, putting DSO into the profile and you're getting some of their coin and you're pushing the price up a curve. Basically, it's called a bonding curve. So as you buy, you push the price up, you lock money in. When you sell, you push the price down, you unlock money. So, but really all you have to know when you use it is one number. You say, how much do you want to buy? Okay, here's the price you're going to get. And that price goes up as more people buy and then money goes into the profile. And when, when you sell, you're unlocking that money and, and going back down. So the short of it is, if you're you know one of the first to buy, then a lot of people buy in it after you. Uh, you know, if you sell, you make money, and that's kind of what uh, Kat's talking about: is people who buy a lot, or rather, someone makes a fake profile, buys a lot of their own coin, gets a lot of people to invest in them, and then sells, uh, and that pushes the price down a lot. And that's called a rug pull because you kind of pulled the rug out from under everybody. So anyway, just to give that context to everybody about what Kat's talking about, there's a, there's a few things to talk about. The first is that, you know, scamming, you know, on a, an app like Instagram or in traditional social media uh, seems to have, it's bad, but it's, it's actually much worse when you involve money because now uh, someone can actually scam you out <laughs> of, of real money. And, and it's, the, it's kind of the, the dark side because... On the one hand, people make a lot more money when you're, when you're money native and you have things like NFTs and coins and all that stuff. People can make so much more money, but it's also riskier because you can lose some money, right? Lose real money. And so, you know, that's a delicate balance, you know? On the one hand, I've seen some founders say they want to make an app that's only verified profiles that you can buy and sell. So actually, I think Gem, uh, a mainstream app that's going to launch next year uh, or maybe late this year that allows you to buy and sell creators, but they're only going to show you profiles that they know are real. And so that's one way to, to solve that problem. 
but it also kind of makes it harder for a smaller creator who's producing good content who maybe didn't get recognized by the moderators of that app to get investment, right? And so it's a trade-off. So I think diamondapp.com makes the trade of we'll just show everybody. And if there's no check mark, then we don't know who they are. And you should be very, 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 very careful. And people still lose money because it's, it's tricky. It really is tricky because someone makes something that looks very compelling. But ultimately, again, maybe the, the beauty of it is that each app gets to make its own decision about how it like, lets you buy and sell. So Polygram says, we're not dealing with coins. We're just going to show you NFTs because uh, you know, that's what we want to do. Uh, Gem is like, okay, well, we want to do coins, but we want to only show verified. And I think ultimately, you know, kind of the market will decide you know, where that level of, or I mean, I think they'll all exist and they'll all be popular, but Diamond might get a reputation for being a more like do your own research kind of place. Whereas Gem, it's kind of like a, hey, I, oh, I can put my mom on this and then it's not really a problem. That's kind of how I think about how it's going to get solved is really that app layer. The market kind of pushes people towards the apps that are making the best choices. Well, but. So, so on that note, I'm just going to throw up on screen real quick. So here's, here's our Y Whales profile on, on BitCloud. And I'm going to say I'm also strange. I just prefer BitCloud. Like I like the, you know, the really like very analog, uh, you know, uh, SCR looking, looking thing here. And so please everyone go ahead and, and follow Y Whales if you're interested. But I, I find the tokenomics around it, you know, just fascinating of, you know, it, it, the, the tokens increase over time. Is that correct? If people buy, they, the price increases. If people sell, the price decreases. So but the, but the coins in circulation, does the coins in circulation change? Yes, it does. So when you're okay. buying, you're actually printing coins and locking money in the profile. So you're inflating a bit. When you sell, those coins are okay. actually burned and uh, you're taking money out. So it, it's a bit confusing okay. from that angle, but it allows it, it allows the, all of this is oriented around making a buying decision be just one number. Like if you push buy, you'll see it's like, just tell me how much you want to buy. Okay, this is how many coins you're going to get. And uh, yeah, there you go. Actually, there you go. Yeah. So you could say like, put in like $10 yep. and it'll tell you like, oh, okay, I'm getting, yeah. See how easy it is. It's sorry, just sorry, getting I... this many coins and that's the price. So it's just super easy. And that's why all the math kind of works out like does that. Does the money go to the creator or who does the money yeah. go to? Does it just get escrowed effectively? Or does uh, it no, go so um, the money is locked in the profile to support selling. So, so the idea is that when you're buying, you're, you're locking money and that'll actually be there when you go to sell. So for a, an account, if you bought $100 and then immediately sold it, you would get, you know, let's say about $100 worth of coins. You got one coin and then you sold it. You'd get exactly what you put in. So it's symmetric going up and down and up and down. But uh, one interesting thing that you can do as a creator, and most creators do this, is they have a, what's called a, a founder reward or a trading fee. So most creators set their fee to 10%, meaning that they get 10% every time someone buys their coin. And a lot of creators have made like over $100,000 or more on this, just to show you how when you have like a money kind of oriented business model, it can be a lot more. So, oh, wow. so you're saying I should take mine down from 50%. <laughs> That's probably hurting your investment. Yeah. Yes. Uh, ten, okay. ten, is, well, 10 is common. Yeah. 10 is common. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll change that to 10. So as long as I got this on the screen, let's, let's talk about this big guy right here, Mr. Mr. Musk, right. who's not on the platform. Right. Clearly he is one of the top, uh, top coins that's out there. So he's, he's got 309 in circulation compared to my 27. You know, what, what's your vision for the, or, or how do you deal with the fact that he's not on here? He's not posted. There's, there's a lot of money locked up in him. Yeah. Um, you know, what does that, what does that mean to you? 
Uh, so actually, it, Jay, if you keep that screen up for a second there, if you go to the posts tab there, uh, yep. so you can see what, what, what the people are seeing is basically there's an Elon Musk profile on BitCloud, which is an app that's built on DSO. So there's Diamond app, but there's also BitCloud, you know, over 100 now, uh, and we're funding even more. But um, Elon's profile is reserved. That means that uh, you can actually already buy and sell a coin associated with that handle, that Elon Musk handle, but uh, he's not actually on there yet. And uh, this was a very interesting decision that, uh, you know, we made when we, we launched BitCloud. So BitCloud was an app that my team actually launched. It was the first prototype kind of thing on uh, DSO. Since then, there's a lot of apps that we don't run, like Diamond and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we put basically the top 15,000 profiles from Twitter. We loaded them onto the DSO blockchain, their handles, uh, and actually their pictures as well, and um, allowed people to trade them. And we said, if those people want to come and claim those profiles for their own, those handles, then they can tweet out, you know, there's basically a button they can push to tweet out, uh, I'm claiming this profile, uh, and it embeds their, their public key in there. And they can actually claim that profile, they claim that handle and that account, and they also claim a few coins that we bought for them uh, when we created the profile. So if you look at Elon, for example, and you click on his creator coin, he actually has, uh, that's his cap table, that's all the people who own Elon. Uh, you can see he actually has about, about you know, $900,000 in his own coin waiting for him when he joins. So it's an incentive. Uh, and so this was a big growth hack we did. You know, um, it was also intended to kind of prevent squatting and impersonation of these names, trying to get people eased into like, okay, like, you know, this, is, this has a clock next to it, which means it's reserved. This has a check next to it, which means it's verified. And so, yeah, so that's just an interesting thing. And uh, the vision for it is that everybody claims, you know, their profile and gets some money out of it. You know, maybe they don't sell all at once like a rug pull, but they sell over time. That's something almost everybody does. Uh, there's been like one exception I can literally think of where someone rug pulled their, their profile after claiming. <laughs> So. And, and let's be clear, most of the time it was probably a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't know what they were doing. They just go, oh yeah. my God, there's money here. How does this work? Yeah, and it's yeah. still sitting out there. So, <laughs> so you've, you've been very clear that, that the information can be shared everywhere. What happens when, when you know, I, I'm an active user and an app I do not agree with wants to post my contents? How do I prevent myself from being on you know, the opposite political party that I have no interest in, in participating in or the, the content creator that I, I just, you know, is doing nothing but, but tearing me apart. And I understand it's public, but, you know, to, to exclude from them being able to profit off. Of. Uh, absolutely. I mean, so you're kind of hinting at this problem of moderation, you know, uh, and, and that problem is probably one that I've thought more about than basically everything other than the tech, probably this tech I've maybe thought a little bit more about. But, but yeah, you know, our, our view on it is very different from what exists today. So today, you know, we basically rely on, you know, Facebook to police the vast majority of like what we see online, right? And what's interesting is uh, we really don't have any transparency into like when misinformation is spreading. Uh, we kind of rely on Facebook not only to police it, but also to detect it which is a problem because they're not really aligned to detect it. In fact, often they make more money, you know, allowing, you know, really fake news to spread and to like, you know, get more clicks and make people spend more time there. And so the first step is, uh, the first big breakthrough with DSO uh, on the positive side is that when all of the content is stored on a blockchain, all of the follows, the posts, replies, yada, yada, you can actually do a much better job of detecting the spread of misinformation so that you at least know that it's happening. So you can have the best <laughs> machine learning researchers in the world, regardless of what country they're in, 
analyze the blockchain and say, hey, did you notice they can publish a blog post and say, hey, did you notice these pockets of users that are doing this weird stuff that's like clearly, you know, not, not real uh, media, you know, like it's fake. And so, uh, and also, by the way, the person who did that at Facebook, who, who produced these charts that ended up in Congress against Facebook, actually wants to work with us. So I'm actually, uh, literally today, I'm wow. making him an offer. Yeah, he, he's, he thinks it's so important that we actually, you know, do a good job of analyzing all of this data on DSO and, and reporting about it. And uh, yeah, we're going to do so much fun stuff with him. Uh, and I think really push forward this, you know, something we couldn't do before, which is transparently and you know analyzing and having a conversation about what is happening in these graphs these like graphs of social information i was just gonna ask how you are planning to compete because ave had announced that they were coming out with a decentralized social media platform i'm sure you know disa won't be the only blockchain that is supporting one so you know what does that look like do you know anything about the competition and so what's upcoming with yeah that? it's a great question cat i mean so I, I haven't seen any serious layer one blockchains uh that are tackling social you know it, it really like you know i i don't like to to say this because it, you say it and then you know tomorrow something launches or something that you didn't know about but <laughs> DSO is really the only game in town that can handle the social media use case there's really nothing there's nothing else Every other blockchain, uh, even the most advanced ones, you know, I think just a dollar for a like or a follow is not going to work. And, uh, and, you know, DSO, it's like 10,000 times. It's like nothing. And it's going to stay that way. And so... Hey, on the dollar, let me quickly ask you that because like Sol Solana transaction fees are tiny. Like how, how does it mm -hmm. end up being a dollar just because storage is so much more expensive? Because it's not ah, a transaction exactly. fee Exactly. So right? see, you're hinting at something very important, which is that not all transactions are created equal. And so in, our, in a blog post we wrote recently on dusa.org slash blog, it was called like Web3 won't scale on smart contracts or something. It talks about how there are transactions that just move money around. Like, you know, let's say like a transaction where I send you money or you send me money, right? That doesn't actually create new data that you have to store. It's just two account balances that are like incrementing and decrementing. And you just throw that. You don't have to keep the transaction. You can just throw it away, which is what all the blockchains do. But if it's something where I make a post, right? that's actually going to require me to store that post potentially forever, right? And so 50,000 DeFi transactions where we're just sending money back and forth might not actually result in new data that you have to store, whereas 50,000 posts, it's like tens of megabytes that you have to store suddenly. And so what's interesting with these chains is everybody's talking about transactions per second when it's just not the right way to think about it, right? It, it's, it's really... We call them state-neutral transactions, where like you're not adding new state, you're not adding new storage, uh, versus fifty, you know, versus uh, state-augmenting transactions, where you actually like have to store more data. And so, to do social transactions, social media, all of them are state-augmenting. Follow, like, whatever. They're all actually resulting in new data that you have to store, and that's what costs a dollar. So, uh, you know, if you try to do fifty thousand social transactions on Solana, you break it. Like, it just wouldn't work. It would cost you millions of dollars. And if you actually spent that money to do it, you would break it. Interesting. The next question I have for you is, what was the precursor to this? What got you so pissed off at social media that you go, screw it, I'm going to make my own? Like, what, like what, were, what was the, the, the talk around that? Yeah, I love it. I mean, something funny, maybe I'll just go in my background for a minute. And because and, that really does inform, you know, what I work on, what I'm passionate about, uh, which is that, you know, I studied computer science in undergrad. I graduated in 2013. I worked at DE Shaw, which is a trading firm for a year as a, as a quant, uh, you know, trading equities. 
And uh, I didn't love that. Uh, you know, I wanted to be more kind of like, I kind of wanted to do stuff that people use and then I kind of see that first order impact that I have. Uh, so I went to work at Google. I worked at Google for two and a half years as an engineer. I worked in ads and I worked in search, but crypto was always my passion. Like in college in 2011 or 12, I built like a mining machine, mined like 24 Bitcoins, you know, on free, free campus electricity. It was a great time. Uh, <laughs> my friend over the semester mined like a whole Bitcoin on his laptop. Like that's how like easy it was. And so, oh and, uh, but more than that, I got really into the vision of Bitcoin of how you can have this money that's like not dependent on anything. I wrote like the first blog posts I ever wrote in college were just Bitcoin, me being obsessed with Bitcoin. So I got really passionate about that. But when, when the crash happened in 2013, you know, I basically, I had a, a job lined up at this hedge fund and I'm going to make money and, you know, I can use money to like buy my freedom and work on whatever I want or whatever was my thinking. And I said, I can't really justify giving up that very safe path to invest in just going into crypto because it's so like, it's not clear it's ever going to come back. Like we, you know, we just didn't know. And so what happened was I did my career stuff for a while and then in 2016, woke up to Ethereum, woke up to like all this stuff that had happened from the last time that I was looking at crypto. And I just got obsessed. I mean, I couldn't do my, I, I just, I had to leave Google because I couldn't work at Google anymore. I just like, I had, I was spending all my time just learning about all this crazy stuff that had happened with Ethereum, with privacy, uh, and then with stable coins, which I got really excited about. And that's just, that's a passion, you know, that that's, that's just something that just happens to you and uh, you get really excited about it. So yeah, so I had this idea for a stable coin, which is a crypto, it's basically a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and that you can use it on crypto exchanges. We were going to build it on Ethereum and, but, but it's stable in value. So, you know, it's like a digital dollar that you can move at between each other as easily as you can move Bitcoin or Ethereum. And so went, left Google in 2017 to pursue that. We had a, a very interesting way to achieve that while maintaining decentralization, which is that it's a stable coin. So it's like a, a dollar, you know, ERC-20 that's worth a dollar, but it's backed by crypto yep. instead of being backed by dollars in a bank account. And so pursued that very aggressively. I raised $140 million to launch this uh, protocol on Ethereum. Would have been the first really like De it was DeFi before DeFi, you know, it's really going to yeah. back all of this stuff because you need a stable coin to do all these complicated financial derivatives that people were going to do. And it's, what's amazing is it's decentralized in the end. Like in the end, it's actually like, you know, like this, this thing that doesn't require, uh, you know, the Fed. Uh, it's not subject to the same problems of the printing press and all that kind of stuff, which is just so exciting to me that you can do that. Uh, but in 2018, the SEC came out and started just aggressively attacking so many things in crypto and in particular, something that they attacked, they made clear they were going to attack very aggressively is people who raised with this document called a SAFT. So it's like a safe, but for coins. And yep. we raised with a SAFT. All the money, you know, 140 million was raised with a SAFT. And, you know, all the lawyers we talked to were like, oh, well, you can't launch because your coins will be securities because you raised with a SAFT. And I swear, I spent like eight or ten, eight to ten million dollars on lawyers, and, uh, and it was eight million. And then what happened was, ended up realizing, man, you know, there's really no way to do this incredibly exciting business without significant risk that the SEC is going to think that there are securities involved. And meanwhile, you know, a bunch of other approaches to launching a stablecoin came out, like USDC. Tether was growing and growing and growing. And you know, at the end, it was kind of like. We could launch a Me Too product. We could launch a compliant dollar-backed stablecoin, you know. But, like, 
really? I mean, I didn't raise 140 million to do that. I raised 140 million to do something that was going to really help people in a different way. And so I made a really hard decision in early 2019 that I was going to return all the money that I raised and say, this doesn't work and try something else. And it was a very difficult decision. You know, that's the set the stage, you know, before I went into DSO, I, I finished all of that, you know, returned all the money is literally 140 million minus like $8 million I spent on lawyers, something like that. Yeah. So then early 2019, I have less in savings than when I started. I have like three years of runway that I saved up from like Google and, and uh, DE Shaw. And, uh, you know, I'm like, what's next? Should I just go back to Google because this didn't work out? Like, <laughs> but, um, but I was really, really passionate about doing something that's going to have that level of impact, something that people can really benefit from. I said, I'm going to work for three years on trying to find that next thing that's like as impactful as Basis was, that last company was, but be smart about it, not, not you know, tie myself into like regulatory knot, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. um, and that's really, that's what sets the stage for DSO, right? Because I looked around and people were saying, talking about decentralizing social media, it was very clearly something that I thought should happen, but I wasn't convinced that it was possible because how do you break these crazy network effects that these companies have? And so I looked at it kind of ha initially half-heartedly, like, man, this is just never going to happen, never going to make it NGMI kind of thing. But I, I started getting excited when I looked at kind of that value prop of if you have all the content on a blockchain, all these apps can kind of feed off of each other in this interesting way that maybe they can build a network effect together with you know, all the apps that get built all around the world, kind of like Ethereum in the, against the financial system, right? It's similar kind of anti-fragility or, you know, of like one app wins and then all the other apps kind of get that data. Uh, that was part of it. And then the other thing that closed it finally for me was from a product side, mixing money and social was something that people had tried in the past. There were products like Steam and Behoo and Scent and, and Roll and Rally and all these. And I studied everything that had been done from a product side with money and social. And I really felt like that was such a rich space that was under underexplored and could be really brought to a 10x with a blockchain that's kind of dedicated to it, can actually handle all of that storage and have the posts on chain and, and, and do all that kind of stuff. So from a product side and from like, a, like not inevitability side, but like asymmetry of like if one app wins, all the other apps kind of get bigger and bigger and bigger in a snowball, that kind of pushed me. And I said, okay, this is, this is something I'm willing to spend the next 10 years of my life on and see if we can, we can do it. And it's still, by the way, like a whatever, maybe single, like low double digit percentage of success, just like anything that we do. But every day I wake up and I'm like, this is so important. Like we need to do this. And I think wag me, like we are going to make it. <laughs> I just believe that so strongly. And I, that's, that's the story. Nader, I, I cannot, I cannot even begin to say thank you for sharing that story because it's, <laughs> it's absolutely, I, I had no idea. It's fabulous, you know, fabulous to hear. And I'm sure Kat's going to be geeking out over that for, for a little bit. So my, my question also is like, in terms of where you are right now, what, what would you say you need help with? What, what, what aren't you great at? And, you know, where, where are the gaps right now to, to propel you to the, into the future? Yeah, I mean, it's a really great question, Kat. I mean, I think the biggest thing in the short term that we're doing with DISO that's so, so, so important is funding the best developers in the world to build apps on DISO. And we're actually very lucky in that we announced this $50 million fund. 
And I kind of thought, oh, we're going to get like, you know, kind of whatever developers who are just looking for the money or whatever. But instead, we got 140 applications and like 40 of them were really good. Like really like, and by the way, they were all really good, to be, to be honest. But there were 40 that were like, wow, like these guys are Stanford Business School, Harvard Business School, or like, you know, MIT, you know, like really not that the schools matter at all. But like, I mean, it's just like. These guys are just so serious. If former, like they founded other companies and now they want to build on DSO and stuff like that. And uh, just so many really bright people building on DSO. And so I think the number one thing we can do is get as many people building apps uh, that they're passionate about with these new primitives, these kind of money-oriented primitives that, that people haven't really been able to play with before. And so that's what we're doing. So with, with the developers and, and getting people excited to build. So if you know any developers who are interested I mean, this is the next disruption. I really think it's it's these new this new feature set of money and social and um, yeah. And aside from that, we're working on you know just just getting those really uh, premium apps. But if there are people who want to build on the blockchain itself, like want to contribute to the DSO protocol, that's also really great. So the short answer is developers. Like that's our like number one thing to tap into that asymmetry of, of building. But and your and your foundation board. Yes, that's true. We're working on that. Yes, yes. Well, Nader, I have to say thank you so much for coming on. It, this has been absolutely a, a fabulous conversation. We very much appreciate it. Is there any last final minute kind of shout outs or, uh, you know, think projects that you just want to give uh, a little attention to that maybe need a little love? Oh, man. I mean, yeah, maybe. I, I, I wish I, I should really have all the top creators. Obviously, Kat's a top creator, but Krasensteins make these great videos on YouTube. If you just want to know what's going on on DSO, they make videos every day. Uh, I love them so much. I love everybody on the platform. Aside from that, uh, if you want to look at all the apps that are building on DSO, there's bithunt.com slash explore. That actually just catalogs like a bunch of different apps. Yeah, my favorites right now are diamondapp.com, cloutfeed is a mobile app, polygram.cc, nftz.zone. Dsopulse.com is actually like a creator coin trading app supernovas.app. Yeah, that's, that's my plug. Awesome. <laughs> you got um, it. You got and it. And, and last but not least, just because, again, you, you've been on the fire side, you've been on this, we need to turn over and get you one of our, our new whales that we just launched. Oh, my goodness. Um, that's so awesome. And so, oh, yeah. So these are full 3D metaverse or whatever we're going to be calling it that we don't like Zuckerberg taking our name from us. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get you one of these and they come in a gazillion different different styles. So we'll get your, oh your Ethereum wallet. Oh yeah, and these are these are our communities. These are our. This is what we do for our community. Um, That's incredible. So we'd love you to be part of it. Yeah, I just, fabulous. I just sent you my MetaMask, so so you have it. You uh, got it. You got it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, thank you so much. Again, it's, it means so much. Oh no, we're thrilled to have it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. Why Whales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media.
Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.